Descubre, aprende, es Baugan Radio. Okay, Luis, let's begin your level test. Are you ready? Yes. All right, here we go. Where will you be tomorrow at this time? Tomorrow I will be in class. Repeat it. Tomorrow I will be in class. Tomorrow I'll be in class. I'll be in okay. class. Very good. En poco más de media hora y de forma totalmente gratuita, este alumno sabrá exactamente cuál es su nivel de inglés. ¿Y tú? ¿Todavía no sabes qué nivel de inglés ponerte en el currículo? Si estás pensando en hacer uno de los másters en inglés profesional de Baugan, te invitamos a una prueba de nivel gratuita para que lo tengas mucho más claro y sin ningún un tipo de compromiso? Infórmate ya en el 91-133-5833. Además, ahora financiate hasta el 100% del coste y págalo cómodamente hasta en 24 meses. Puedes ver las condiciones de financiación en el apartado de máster en grupoaugan.com. Glorious afternoon on English on the Double. And it's Tuesday, which means all the trivia. Yes, that doesn't really sound like a sentence, but basically it's Trivia Tuesday. So I'm going to be talking about trivial things, lots of random facts, lots of bits of information you didn't know. And today's topic is going to be... Oh, wait a second. I know what... Uh, uh, ah, there we go. I was messing around. I was playing with the volume controls on my earphones and uh, nothing was happening and then I realized that the volume controls on my earphones uh, were actually a different set of volume controls so I uh, made a bit of a mistake with that one no 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 matter though not, not really relevant information at all now I think about it so um, yeah we'll forget about that so before we get on to talking about holiday destinations and facts thereof Facts relating to that, facts thereof, uh, we're going to look at the phrasal verb challenge from yesterday, which was, uh, nunca me rindo, so that's what I was looking for, rendirse, me rindo, uh, nunca me rindo, uh, cuando no puedo terminar un crucigrama. And we had a good number of answers to this one, actually, about, yeah, five, six people had a go at this one, so, uh, yeah. Uh, we had Cataldo Torley said, I never give up when I can't finish a crossword. Catalina L said, I never give up when I can't finish a crossword. Uh, Enrique Carthier said, I never give up when I can or can't. Ah, uh, yes, he, he, he later corrected himself, can't finish a crossword. Uh, Mr. Houses said, I never give up or give in when I can't finish a crossword. Uh, and Jessica Costa said, I never give up or give in when I can't finish a crossword. And I said there were two answers. Two potential answers, beginning with G. And so, well done to everyone. Everyone got uh, a gold star. Well, 
a gold star, and, oh, sorry, Joaquin Lazaro. I forgot to, I, I missed you completely. I apologise, Joaquin. I never give up when I can't finish a crossword. Yes, uh, extra, uh, and, and uh, an extra special gold star to Jessica Acosta and Mr. Houses for putting both verbs. Yes, to give up and to give in. Um, phew, well, how does one even begin to define it? Um, yeah, darse por vencido, uh, rendirse... Um, I think they pretty much mean the same thing. Yeah, you can't give up, you can't give in, uh, or you shouldn't give up, you shouldn't give in. Um, yeah, let's see, Darte Porfrencido, Vesenvirse. Um, I'm just trying to think of an example where I would use them differently, and off the top of my head, uh, I cannot. So, um, yeah, let's, let's say they're more or less, um, correct. I feel like, give up is yeah actually no because you can give something up in the sense of not just in the sense of darse darse por vencido but you can also give up you can give up smoking whereas you don't give in smoking so my general piece of advice here would be use give up don't bother using give in because you can generally always use give up where you can use give in but you cannot you can't Always use give in where you use give up. So give up is the easier verb to use. It's the more flexible verb. It has the greater range of meanings, uh, would be my piece of advice there. Yes, of course, notice that I say, when I say consejo, I say a piece of advice, because of course the common mistake is to, uh, say an advice. Uh, but of course, for some bizarre reason, advice in English is uncountable. So, you know, uh, that's that then really, isn't it? And um, I am recording early today. I normally record at 1, but I'm recording at 11 currently. So I haven't actually put up the correct answer yet, but I'll do that after the program. Uh, but before it is... Got before it goes out on the air. And uh, if you're, intri- if you're interested, you can find all my phrasal verb challenges on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Manteca. And you can take part in today's one, which is Como anda tu novela nueva? And I'm looking for anda or andar as a phrasal verb beginning with C. A bit of a hint about this one, a bit of a... Um, yeah, a bit of a hint, a bit of a pista about this one. Um, it's in English, it's not present simple. Um, yeah, so in the Spanish here, como anda tu novela nueva, it's in present simple. I would recommend that you don't translate it into the present simple. I recommend that you use another verb form, another way of expressing it, another kind of conjugation. So yeah, best of luck with that one. Right, uh, that's that done. We're going to start on our topic, which is facts about travel and holiday destinations. Um, right, the first one actually relates to Saudi Arabia. And quite unsurprisingly, this seems like a bit of a strange thing to say, but it it doesn't actually surprise me that much. In Saudi Arabia, there are no rivers. This is one of the only countries in the world that doesn't have any rivers. Uh, Of course, though, it says it's still worth a visit, even if it means leaving the canoe at home. I didn't really realize that Saudi Arabia was uh, considered to be much of a holiday destination, really. I thought it was, um, yeah, Saudi Arabia holidays. Let's see what they got. Because I'd say, uh, oh, well, it's um, saying public holidays. 
in Saudi Arabia. Public holidays, holidays and observances. Uh, okay, that's probably the wrong word. Uh, in that case, I'm going to look at vacations. So there, quite an interesting point. I typed in holidays thinking about, oh, I want to go on holiday to Saudi Arabia, um, and it gave me public holidays, all their uh, religious festivals, things like this. So there is a difference in this regard between holiday and vacation. Um, of course, though, I made this mistake as a native speaker, so it's one of those things uh, where the, the difference is so slight, it really, yeah, that, that's basically it. Um, let's see, what the best Saudi Arabia vacation packages of 2018... Oh, okay. Yeah, paquetes vacacionales para Arabia Saudita. Okay, and it's in Spanish. So there you go. Uh, el sitio web de viajes más grande del mundo. Infórmate mejor, reserva mejor, viaja mejor. Um, yeah, hopefully I'm saying that in a... Yeah, okay. Well, uh, I'll put this on there if anyone's interested in traveling to Saudi Arabia this summer. Um, if you haven't already booked your holidays, yeah, well, there's some interesting looking ones. I'm looking at, well, there's Mecca, you got Riyadh, Medina, Jeddah, Al Kobar, which looks like a river. Ooh, maybe it isn't a river. Maybe it doesn't count as a river. So, yeah, okay, well, well, I, yeah, I'm kind of intrigued now. I'm sort of interested in maybe thinking about Saudi Arabia as a holiday destination. Uh, right. We're going to now talk about the Falkland Islands. The Falkland Islands, um, most famous for my generation as a place that caused Britain and Argentina to go to war. Yes, uh, basically there are some islands off the coast of Argentina, which for some reason the British think they own. Um, and the Falkland Islanders themselves want to be owned by the British, as far as we can tell. Um, I don't know how that happened. I don't really understand what the history is of the Falkland Islands. I can try and look it up, but it's going to be a learning process. Um, but yeah, we call it the Falklands War. Um, and yeah, Islas Mal... Hang on, what's this say here? Las Islas Malvinas. There we go. Um, yeah, how did it come to be part of... Well, there's a big thing on hit here in the history. In the first half of the 20th century, the Falklands served as an important role in Britain's territorial claims to sub-Antarctic islands and a section of Antarctica. Oh, uh, okay, so it was part of our imperial expansion, presumably. Um, let's see... Uh, there was a mutiny in 1832, which was followed next year by the arrival of British forces who reasserted Britain's rule. Okay, so when did Britain get there? Uh, let's see, the Falklands remained uninhabited until the 1764 establishment of Port Louis on East Falkland by the French Captain Louis-Antoine Bougainville and the 60, 1766 foundation of Port Edgment on Sordentas Island by British Captain John McBride. Uh, whether or not the settlements were aware of each other's existence is debated by historians. In 1766, France surrendered its claim on the Falklands to Spain, which renamed the French colony uh, Puerto Soledad the following year. Problems began when Spain discovered and captured 
Port Edgemont in 1770. War was narrowly avoided by its restitution to Britain in 1771. Oh, intriguing. So that's how that happened. Both the British and the Spanish settlements coexisted until 1774, only three years later, uh, when Britain's new economic and strategic considerations led it to voluntarily withdraw from the islands, leaving a plaque claiming the Falklands for King George III. Okay, right. Uh, Something about the Napoleonic Wars in Europe. The island's governor evacuated in 1806. Spain's remaining colonial garrison followed in 1811. Except for the gauchos and fishermen who remained. Then it was visited by fishing ships. Uh, American private... Yeah, it's a long story. You know what? I'm just going to leave it there. Um, So, yeah, Wikipedia generally doing a relatively good job at giving the background. Of course, with Wikipedia, one should always try and get secondary sources. Don't assume that you immediately know what is going on just because you have read the Wikipedia article. But, you know, as long, I think generally, if you're not... Um, if you're not reading celebrity information, so, uh, for example, I watch the Joe Rogan podcast, and uh, he's kind of critical of um, of Wikipedia. He says that um, he says that Wikipedia has listed his birthday wrong numerous times and said that he is someone's brother when he isn't anyone's brother or something like that. So um, when it comes to celebrities and, you know, famous people and things like that, then probably you don't want to trust Wikipedia. But I'm assuming for historical and scientific information, it's probably about as accurate as most other ones. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, so the fact about the Falklands Islands, the one that I didn't actually even mention, is that the sheep outnumber people by 200 to 1. The idea being there are tons and tons of sheep, ovejas. Uh, of course... It is sheep in plural, not sheeps. I don't know why, but it's just one of those things that English has. One of those strange, charming things about the English language that makes it so difficult to learn. Uh, basically, we have a few of these irregular plurals where it doesn't change from singular to plural. It's mostly because of Vikings and Anglo-Saxons and all the other stuff that we've talked about on this program over the years. But, uh, yeah, that's basically it. It's it's weird old English stuff. Really, we should change it. But, yeah, sheep, fish, and deer, they are the same plural or singular. One fish, two fish, one sheep, two sheep, one deer, three deer, for example. Or five bazillion deer, five billion deer. It would uh, it wouldn't make a difference. The number doesn't matter. So anyway, uh, moving on to Russia. If you ever go to Russia, and maybe you've just come back, but did you visit the Hotel Supreme in the Muscovite district of Izmailovo? Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. But if you did, you might know that the hotel has seven thousand five hundred beds and approximately five thousand rooms. So that's quite a big hotel, almost as big as Vladimir Putin's own personal living palace. Um, maybe I don't know how big that is actually. That's, I'm I'm being um, what's the word? I'm being facetious. I'm just trying to comment on the fact that Vladimir Putin is effectively a dictator. But um, anyway, moving on. Right, Switzerland. Uh, going on now with hotels, they have a place called the Hotel Elite. Uh, and this is, well, let's see, let's look up the Hotel Elite 
Um, see if we can find a bit of that. Hotel Elite, E-L-I-T-E. Um, right, Hotel Elite. Oh, no, there's there's the Elite Hotel. We've got another one. Uh, let's see, Hotel Elite Switzerland. Uh, where is that one? I'm, I'm seeing... Still quite a few. There's, uh, there's, there's quite, yeah, there's a number of, there's one in Lausanne or Lausern, as they said in the German pronunciation. You've got Zermatt, you've got Tash. Um, right, okay. It's going to be difficult to discover which one is the real hotel elite. Uh, but this one has four bedrooms, only four bedrooms, practically a house. Um, and the, what, how many? Twelve marble Bathrooms, Banos de Marmol, um, I guess. Yeah, 12 of those. Amazing. The Royal Penthouse Suite at the Hotel President Wilson uh, will set you back. To set you back, to set somebody back in this context is related to money. To set somebody back from in a money sense is that you will pay. Uh, here we are. Um, it will set you back 40000 I think it was dollars a night. Wow. I don't know. I mean, really? That's that's incredible. Yeah, 40,000. Oh, no, 40,000 pounds a night. So that's not even dollars. That's pounds, although they are pretty close at the moment. Um, damn. I mean, like, that's got to be, like, the best hotel on earth, because otherwise, why would you pay it? But, yeah, anyway. Facts about the United States. Did you know that in the USA, there are always at least... 61,000 people flying on planes. So, yes, there's basically the population of a small city in the air over the United States at any one time. That's pretty crazy. Uh, But what's crazier is Indonesia. Uh, Indonesia has 127 active volcanoes. And, um, well, this potentially this is something that was actually came up earlier, wasn't it? Uh, I don't, was, I know Hawaii had an active volcano. And uh, was Indonesia one of the affected countries? It wasn't, I don't think, was it? So it's not too topical, hopefully, this one. Um, but, yeah, quite a lot of active volcanoes. Very good for the soil, admittedly. Very good for the tierra, uh, the, the land that forms after a volcano has uh, erupted is incredibly rich in um, in minerals. So it's very, very good after the volcano has erupted uh, a few years later. But um, during the actual eruption, not so great. Not so great, really. Uh, moving on to Singapore. It says, no tractors. This island, so tractors, tractores, this island is the largest country on Earth to not have any farms because Singapore is completely urbanized. Ah, uh, yes. That's that's the thing they're always saying about Singapore. There's basically not really any sc- ground space. There's yeah, it's it'd be interesting to get somebody to talk about Singapore. We have a guy here who is from Singapore, and um, yeah, I, I've I've always wondered about it. So yeah, be a good one. Next one, going back to Switzerland, is that in Switzerland, in this small European nation, the average person consumes about 10 kilos of chocolate per year. The average person. Uh, That's strange, actually, because I've met quite a few Swiss people and they don't seem to be particular... They don't seem to suffer with uh, weight problems at all. And certainly the chocolate is amazing there. So, yeah, clearly they are getting something right. I could easily see myself consuming 10 10 grams of chocolate... 10 grams? 10 kilograms of chocolate a year, personally. I mean... 
I have been known uh, in my moments of weakness to consume an entire 300-gram bar of Milka chocolate, um, particularly the ones, you know, the three-flavor ones, that they're, they're a massive weakness for me. And, um, yeah, so if you do that three times in... Well, actually, no. How many of those would you have to consume? You would have to consume roughly about three of those a month, and then in 12 months you would consume... 900 grams multiplied by 12. 9 times 12 is um, 118. So, yeah, that would be consuming... Uh, uh, so that would be one... Th- uh, hang on, where, where's a calculator? I, I I was doing so well, but then I lose my numbers and I kind of... Yeah, so here we go. So 900 multiplied by 12 is... Boom! Yeah, 10 kilo... 10.8 kilos. So, yes... I could see myself doing that. That's, although it, that is quite a lot, really, when you sit and think about it. But yeah. Anyway, next one. Canada. Canada is Lake Central. I believe we've mentioned this little fact before. The country has the most lakes in the world, and it translates to 60% of the world's lakes in total. Yes. So uh, if you ever, if you're a big fan of lakes, you want to go to the Great Lakes in Canada. Canada's pretty amazing for lakes. And uh, I have had the privilege to paddle around, to paddle, P-A-D-D-L-E, or is it P-A-D, yeah, P-A-D-D-L-E. I've had the, um, the privilege of paddling around a couple of Canada's lakes. Not the big ones, but some of the smaller ones. And, uh, yeah, kayaking on a Canadian lake is, is very nice. I would like to say I had been more adventurous and gone down some Canadian rivers, uh, but I, that, that would be a lie. I haven't done that. Um, that certainly would be amazing. That's, that's one big trip I would love to do one day. Um, but yeah, that's, oh yeah, I wonder, maybe I could do that for my 40th birthday or something. Um, save up a lot of money and go do that. Right. Monaco. Is it the smallest settlement? This is a tiny nation and it's said to be smaller than Central Park in New York City and home to a mere 38,000 people. You're always hearing about Monaco in terms of its racing and things like that. But, uh, yeah, 38,000 people, that isn't even as much as the number of people in the air above the United States. So that's, that's pretty crazy. Basically, maybe, yeah, what could, if the people in the air above the United States decided um, they could become a bigger nation than Monaco. They could be a nation of people in the sky. Of course, maintaining them there might be difficult. So, yeah, probably won't happen. Right, next one is based around Libya, and it's talking about castles made of sand. This is a reference to the Jimi Hendrix song, Castles Made of Sand, and um, I, it's this is, uh, this is an interesting point linguistically, because why do you call it castles made of sand when you have sand castles? That doesn't really seem to make much sense. Why would you call it that? Uh, but, of course, it is more dramatic if you use the longer form. Uh, why not say sand castles? Because castles made of sand sounds more interesting. That's basically it. Um, that would be my guess with that one. Uh, so yes, uh, this North African country, Libya, is made up of 99% desert. Um, quite an interesting one, actually. It's, I've been listening to a podcast about the, no, it was the Almoravids, uh, the ones who came into Spain, 
after the Ta'ifa period. Uh, because what happened is uh, during the Arabic conquests, if I'm not, if I'm, yeah, hang on, the Arab conquests, uh, of course, they made it up into Spain, and then there was the Umayyad Caliphate. I can't remember exactly when that started, sometime around, I think it was five, six, seven hundred. We'll say by seven hundred, the Umayyad Caliphate had existed. Then all um, the city-states broke up, and there was individual warring among the Muslim city factions. And then they de- uh, somebody decided to invite the Almoravids, who were, I think they were uh, a Berber tribe um, living in the north of Africa, and then they got a particular form of Islam came in. I can't remember, was it, what was his name? I was listening to it this morning and I've forgotten. Ah, so frustrating. Uh, but yes, he came in and he turned them into a, a bolder, more uh, disciplined faction. And then they came in and uh, took over because the Ta'ifa period was not going too well towards the end. So, um, yeah, no, it was, an, it was an interesting one, the Almoravids. And, yeah, it's, it's just like, how do so many people survive? How do civilizations grow and prosper in desert? And I guess I just don't understand because I'm from England. And England is like the antithesis of desert. It's basically just, you know, you're so used to rain, it's hard to think of water as a precious commodity. It's, it's very hard. And, yeah, anyway. Uh, right, moving on. Uh, the Maldives. How low? This nation of islands is reported to be the lowest on Earth. And let's, uh, yeah, this is worth pointing out. Uh, if the seas continue to rise, it will be lost. And this is something that is apparently uh, quite worrying. I've heard uh, also that people, uh, st- um, there's a problem. I saw a documentary called The Sand Wars. And well, some, somebody once told me that it was not really legitimate, but um, I, I'd, I'd recommend having a look. There's a guy, uh, he gives a TED talk about it, uh, but you can find it all at sand-wars.com, Sand Wars. And yeah, it's by uh, Denis Delistrac, who I believe... Well, he certainly lives in Barcelona. I don't know if he is Catalan, but, um, yeah, he gave an interesting TED talk in, in, in Barcelona. And, um, yes, apparently people are stealing sand, um, or rather they are taking it off the sea floor, uh, which causes, um, any islands, which are largely composed of sand, to lose mass. So it's not just that the sea is rising, but that the island is sinking as well, at least according to his documentary. Although, talking to an engineer, he says that that's not possible or not true or uh, it's not really a problem. So, I don't know, the, the, the documentary was pretty convincing, though, I have to admit. Anyway, I will leave you to make up your own minds. Uh, you're as rational thinking people. Every, you, I'm just going to present you with information and, um, you know, I'll leave you to figure it out, basically. Because I don't have the answers. I just, like, watch stuff and hear things and, you know, try and provoke debate-ish. Well, not really, but anyway. Right. Uh, Sorry, I'm just going to (coughs) cough a second. (coughs) (coughs) Oh, well, this is fortunate. We're just about to go on a break, so I'm going to drink some water and we'll be back after this.
Hay tan poca gente en España con un alto nivel de inglés, tan poca, que las empresas las rifan. El sistema educativo no ayuda a solucionar esto. Y en las universidades el inglés sigue siendo una maría. Entonces, ¿qué hacen los chavales cuando terminan la carrera? Pues buscan trabajo o bien prolongan su educación con un máster. Los que buscan empleo aspiran, claro, a buenos puestos o a las buenas empresas, pero se colocan mal. Sí, se colocan mal por la falta de un buen nivel de inglés. ¿Y qué hacen ante esto? Pues muchos hacen un máster en recursos humanos o en derecho comunitario o algo por el estilo para mejorar su currículum. La verdad es que seguimos sin entenderlo. ¿Por qué dedicáis uno a dos años a un máster sabiendo que vuestra carencia es el inglés? ¿Por qué? Si dedicarais ese año exclusivamente al inglés, con el mismo empeño que en ese máster que teníais pensado o que habéis hecho, ¿saldríais hablando el idioma? ¿Has escuchado alguna vez a Richard? Pues eso. Y esto no es vender humo, esto no es una broma. Las empresas os cogerían sin pestañear. Saber inglés como Dios manda vale cinco másters. Estamos hablando sobre todo a los jóvenes. En su último año de carrera, os queda poco tiempo para venderos en el mercado laboral. Cada año salen al mismo tiempo miles de personas a buscar su primer empleo. Pronto vais a tener un montón de competidores. Cientos, miles de competidores. Todos con licenciatura o con máster. ¿Cómo piensas competir con ventaja? ¿Cómo vas a diferenciarte de todos ellos? Para las empresas serás uno más del montón. Todos con su diploma o con su máster. Y todos con un inglés bastante pobre. Ahora que tienes 22, quizá 23 años, a tu edad todavía no cuesta tanto hacerte con un alto nivel de inglés. Si no acometes este problema ahora, si te empeñas en esquivar el asunto haciendo un máster en empresas, que tampoco te va a diferenciar al final, te condenas a arrastrar el tema del idioma inglés hasta el fin de tu vida profesional. Hazme caso. Lo vemos todos los días. Si no agarras el tema del inglés ahora, con decisión y firmeza, no llegarás a saberlo nunca. Siempre tendrás un nivel medio. Serás uno más del montón. El inglés en España abre más puertas que ninguna otra cosa. Infórmate sobre el Máster en Inglés Profesional o el Executive Máster en Inglés Profesional. También en versión fin de semana. En Madrid, Valencia y Barcelona. Infórmate. GrupoBaugan.com o 91-133-5833. Fresca tu inglés con Baugan Radio.
back talking about facts related to holiday destinations. And before the break, I had just started a coughing fit. A fit of coughing. I couldn't stop coughing, but I seem to be okay now. So, fingers crossed, with luck... I won't have to. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll get into that, and um, it won't happen again. So we're going to move now onto a different website. If you're interested in the ones that I have been following so far, it, they are at aledecor.com. They got a nice big facts list. Um, but yeah, they got a nice one here about Norway. Before I move on, that 99% of electricity produced in Norway uh, comes from hydroelectric. Quite a nice one. Um, and of course, the not just Norway, but uh, Iceland is well known for being largely run by uh, geothermal because they are on... They, yeah, Iceland's a, a geographical oddity. It's unique. It's got kind of the thing that's going on in, um, in, um, uh, in Hawaii. Uh, so in Hawaii, you get... Uh, a upwelling of magma. It's like a, a particular focal point in the Earth's crust where heat focuses under a point and then the Earth's crust moves over that focal point and it creates islands. So that's happened in Iceland. Also, it's on a tectonic fault line. So it's got the two things happening at once. And as a result... <coughs> oh, oh, damn. There it goes. Yeah. As a result, um, there's tremendous amounts of heat... Uh, from the Earth's core very near the surface. And this has turned Iceland from uh, a very poor place, a very poor country, to uh, actually a very rich country now. They are able to use their energy um, all through the winter so they actually can grow their own crops. They're actually, they've got greenhouses full of tomatoes in one of the coldest countries uh, you know, in the world. Um, I'm just trying to remember where I saw this. This was BBC... Earth, and this was Iceland. Is that, yeah, I think it's... Uh, yes, this is it. Oh, no, this is from Twitter. That's not what I was going for. Uh, BBC Iceland Tomatoes YouTube? Yeah, let's go for that. Uh, deforesting Iceland, coastlines. This is strange. Well, I found it in... Um, I found it on Twitter anyway, so we, I think you can go and find the video related to this. There's, uh, yes, the BBC have their own channel on YouTube. It's called Earth Lab most of the time. And yeah, that's um that's they do lots of different things and currently they've been doing things about Iceland because they were talking about the northern lights and yeah, some of the science uh, of the island and things that are related to it. Right. Um we're now going to move on to facts related to travel in general. Uh, the first fact they have is that travel can help improve your sub, uh, uh, problem solving skills. Um, this can take you to, let's see, um, this then takes you on a kind of a weird tour of the internet and takes you to something called the shrink tank. Um, I don't really know what the shrink tank is. It seems to be talking about movies, mostly effects of violent video games. Marvel's Ant-Man and the Psychology of Awe, A-W-E. Now, uh, shrink, I suppose this is related to psychology, because a shrink is a name for another name, a more, um, well, what's the word I'm looking for here? A more 
colloquial name for a psychotherapist. If you ever listen to uh, Woody Allen's stand-up, because Woody Allen, before he became a film director, was a stand-up comedian, uh, he talks about going to a shrink a lot. That's the first instance I heard of, um, yeah, or, uh, was it? yeah, the first instance I heard of talking about shrinks. Um, and it's, it's an American word. We generally don't use it in the United Kingdom. Um, but uh, yes, so it says there is an article and it says travel can help you improve your problem-solving skills. Uh, and as far as I can tell, I'm trying to look for it on Google at the, uh, at the same time. I found Urban Adventures, something from Pinterest. Um, it says, let's see, travel and heart. Oh, here we are. Five ways that travel can make you smarter. Um, well, number one, enhances your language skills. Fair enough. Uh, can broaden your perspective. Okay, give you more ideas of how the world can be, presumably. Makes sense. Uh, travel can help you think on your feet. So improvise, things like that. Oh, fair enough. Uh, travel introduces you to new skills. Intriguing. Although I don't know what those new skills are. If it's being able to make guacamole in a small bowl... Um, in a random hotel room, and I say hotel, I mean, you know, hostel, albergue, whatever you can find, then I learned that, certainly. And it also enhances your decision-making skills, apparently. Well, I've travelled a bit. I don't know how true that is, but um, fair enough. Um, I, I think they might be exaggerating that one, but fair enough. Okay, next one uh, is that taking a vacation can lower your risk of heart disease. And, jeez, uh, come on, guys. Uh, yeah, this is a, uh, it's cause it's an, it's a BuzzFeed article, this one. Uh, but it's uh, a little bit old. It's from 2014. So the links have moved. I think, yeah, they need to, there, so it directs you to things which no longer exist. So apparently, there you go. Taking a vacation can lower your risk of heart disease. This might be related to the idea that having more, uh, having more sun, Ah, oh, there we go. I found it again. Uh, yes, having more sun causes you to produce more nitric oxide, and as a result of having more nitric oxide, ooh, ah, ah, itchy nose. Oh, well, it's just why is everything happening today? Uh, and as a result of having more nitric oxide, your blood vessels dilate, which means that's good for your heart. And of course, you know, going abroad, you're you're getting away from things. You're getting some variation. So yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, holiday for your heart. This There was a study that looked at the health of 12,000 middle-aged men who were at a high risk of heart disease and surveyed them to see how many vacations they took each year. Okay. Uh, regardless of the men's overall health and income, their risk of dying from heart disease was clearly connected from their willingness to take a break. Okay, so it's more about the relaxation that seems to make some of the difference. Um, of course, the other thing you do when you take a holiday is you go outside more. So that's I'm going to say that's, that sunshine is still a factor. Uh, researchers suspect that vacation takers, people who take vacations, vacation takers, may have better heart health because time off reduces stress. Uh, uh, which is one of the biggest contributors to heart disease. Vacation time also provides opportunities to do other good-for-your-health things, like reconnecting with family and friends and pursuing fulfilling interests. So there you go. That seems to be a relatively good reason, but I'm, I'm also hypothesizing that more sunshine is good. You know, you get outside more when you're on holiday because you feel you shouldn't 
waste your time indoors and uh yeah that's uh yeah that that's my that's my that's my theory that's my hypothesis uh but I'm no scientist and I don't really want to try and prove that so um I leave that to you science you prove me right you do all the work uh anyway right uh next fact is that studies show that money spent on travel makes you happier than money spent on material goods and this is a study that i've heard cited actually if you're deciding whether you should buy a new car or go on holiday apparently going on holiday makes you happier um i've i've heard about this and it's been quoted by uh, richard wiseman richard wiseman is a popular psychologist uh, who does a lot of work on tv and radio and um he's done lots of studies that uh, test people generally with things like um i remember one he described he did a test of supposed wine experts talking and he gave them lots of different wines uh he generally seems to like to make people angry he gave these people lots of different wines um and the wines didn't have any label and didn't have any uh indicators as to how old or how expensive the bottle of wine was and then at the end it turned out that all these things these wines uh, wine experts are saying they are able to taste and all the differences they can apparently measure aren't true uh this is according to him anyway and um yeah he seems to, yeah, i think they tried to um uh, i think they sued him for defamation or something like that because yeah he he keeps doing all these tests that make people angry because it i guess it attacks their identity really if you tell a wine expert someone who's been a wine expert for you know the majority of their life since they were in their 20s and they're now in their 50s and you tell them that you actually can't tell the difference between wines and it's it's all fake i guess that probably you know i imagine that attacks your core identity really doesn't it but anyway uh here it says yes it takes us to a forbes article um that is quoting oh jeez there's just adverts everywhere no stop it go away forbes i don't want to see no no stop stop uh right uh, it says here that they're quoting a book called happy money the science of smarter spending uh this is by authors elizabeth dunn d u n n and michael norton they draw on years of quantitative and qualitative research to explain how we can turn cash into contentment and they say that one of the things you should do is to buy experiences research shows that material purchases are less satisfying than vacations or concerts uh, make it a treat buy time pay now consume later and invest in others according to them so um yeah it's an interesting uh, bit of advice but yes you should buy experiences that's what you should be aiming for of course experiences can be uh multitudinous you can you can do have lots of different types of experiences um i'd say yeah the you know try and go for as big a variation of experiences as you can and i guess money makes that possible anyway uh it says here also that the benefits of travel are not oh sorry are almost immediate sorry not negative uh positive after maybe a day or two days 
89% of people experience significant drops in stress. I've noticed this, actually. Um, usually, the first day or two of a holiday, uh, I'm usually kind of exhausted. And usually, you kind of just, you have a holiday, you need about one or two days to, to really begin to enjoy your holiday. And then, yeah, normally that happens. Uh, if you do the same holiday every year... Maybe, and if you're with people uh, that you don't necessarily, whose company you don't necessarily enjoy, I know a few family holidays I went on, which I found particularly stressful, and I was generally glad to be- get back to school after those. Um, I'm, yeah, sounds bad, shouldn't criticize my family, but, you know, my, my father's side of the family are very argumentative and very um, rude, to be quite blunt. And, um, yeah, I found them to be rather stressful, if I'm honest. So, yeah, it's um, probably as long as you make sure that you do the thing that you like when you travel. This is something I'm going to go on a tangent now. So I warn you, listeners, I'm going to go on a tangent. I'm also going to go on a rant and talk about myself. So, um, yeah, the thing I realized is that I was taking holidays I didn't like until quite recently. Um, yes, now it was the Easter of, I think it was 2016, I realized I went to visit Barcelona because I was, you know, the last time I had visited Barcelona, I was 17 and I wanted to go back as a, as a fully fred, fully fledged and free adult. Fully fledged. Fledglings are baby birds. Uh, F-L-E-D-G-I-N-G. A fledgling. Um, oh no, sorry, F-L-E-D-G, yeah, I said it right, oh, uh, I just didn't uh, write it right. Yeah, a young bird is a poyuelo, it says here, um, I was, and when you are fully fledged, you are, you are out of the nest now, you're no longer a, a baby bird, you're fully fledged, uh, as if I wanted to go back as a fully fledged adult, and, um, yeah, I realized, because, uh, you know, I was wandering around the city, going to museums, uh, doing tours and sightseeing. I realized I don't actually enjoy that stuff that much. Um, I realized I actually wanted to be out in the countryside. Maybe it's something relatively recent because I tend to spend most of my time in the city these days. Um, but yeah, I realized I wasn't taking holidays I enjoyed. So, you know, may- maybe I'm, I'm, in fact, almost certainly I can't be the only one. So if you're, if you real, if you come to the, the realization that you don't really enjoy the holidays you take that much, you know, maybe it's time to break up the routine, shake things up a bit, go somewhere different, do something else. I'd even recommend, as I have recommended on this program before, doing a bit of voluntary work. One of the holidays I took, the holiday I took later that year in the summer, I went and volunteered working on a farm via this uh, thing called Woof. And you can do it in Spain. Um, you can do it, well, let's see, on the list it says Woof, Spain, France, Italy, UK, Portugal. Seems like you can go pretty much anywhere you like. So, um, yeah, if you're interested, go volunteer. Why not? It's something a little bit different. It's something, even though you're working hard, um, well, you're actually, well, firstly, you're working relatively hard, but not too hard. And it's just, it's, yeah, I, working outside, working with other people, um, because I spend so much of my time working in a classroom and it was very refreshing and a very enjoyable part of my holiday because I'd gone to a, a festival, the, let's see, 
maybe the week, yeah, I'd gone to a festival the week before and then suddenly I was outside working and, um, yeah, in, in the middle of the hills of Asturias and really, yeah, it was very nice just not having, yeah, to, I didn't have to do much. I, I was working maybe four or five hours a day. I wasn't spending money and I didn't feel like I had to do anything else and I couldn't do anything else because the place didn't have electricity. So I could only use my phone for maybe 10 or 20 minutes a day. And yeah, it was just generally, it was a very positive experience. So I'll say that. Right, moving on. Uh, let's see now. Right, travel has been shown to help those suffering from depression. And this comes from an article from December of 2013. It says, travel is the best medicine, study finds. According to this study, so it's citing a study, uh, uh, this comes from the LA Times, the Los Angeles Times. Uh, according to the study, uh, do, 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 women who went on vacation every six years or less had a significantly higher risk of developing a heart attack or coronary death compared with women who went on vacation twice a year. Oh, we've mentioned this before. Um, that's very similar to the study about men, uh, middle-aged men. Men who did not take an annual vacation were shown to have a 20% higher risk of death and about a 30% greater risk of death from heart disease. Uh, and yeah, here we are, benefits of travel are almost immediate. Uh, the study notes that 59% of Americans dream of traveling during their retirement and that the most impactful trips are those spent with family and friends. Uh, yes, like I said, if your family tend to cause you more stress than actual positivity, then maybe don't worry about traveling with family. Because I, I, well, depends. I went on some very nice ho uh, holidays with my mum's side of the family, but my father's side of the family, not so much. Um, and if they're listening, well, deal with it. Right. Uh, travel has been shown to promote overall brain health. This is according to mattzav.com, M-A-T-Z-A-F, uh, Z-A-V. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, increases, sorry, decreases risk of heart attack and promotes brain health. Although I don't think brain health is a particular term. Um, wait a second. This is. Okay, taking us back to the LA Times. This is weird. This article's maybe like five lines long. Six. Six lines long. Um, right. I think they're just quoting the same article. So, you know what? Screw it. Uh, right. I'm done with BuzzFeed. I am done. I'm done with you, BuzzFeed. Um, I will move on to the next one. So, yes, I, I don't really feel like, yeah, reading any more BuzzFeed facts because, um, well, you know, bit of a weird random mix. So, we're now moving on to aol.co.uk, americaonline.co.uk, I suppose. Not sure. Uh, this one's taking us through some more detailed facts and giving some very nice pictures of uh, holiday destinations around the world. This one relates to the Caribbean and in particular to its white sandy beaches. Uh, you always dream of these beaches with wonderful white sand in the middle of nowhere, places like the Hawaii, the Maldives. Um, did you know, though, that apparently the white sand, the whiteness in the sand is actually made up of uh, poo or caca from the parrotfish, which um, I'm going to just double check to see if the parrotfish is. Uh, yeah, peth de... Let's see, well, let's see. Parrot is... 
Papagayo Loro, of course it is. Uh, Pet de Loro, something like that, I'm assuming. Yes, the parrot fish. The fish that looks kind of like a parrot. And supposedly the whiteness of the white sand on white sandy beaches is to do with uh, parrot fish poo. What happens is uh, parrot fish will scrape. So scrape is uh, rascar, like skyscraper. They will scrape algae off coral. What then happens is that pieces of coral... Uh, come off with the algae and end up in the digestive system of the parrotfish. When it is digested, the coral is turned into a fine white powder that the fish then excrete. Uh, apparently, one giant humphead parrotfish can produce roughly uh, 5,000 kilos of, uh, well, they say poop sand or arena caca here per year, meaning a significant ma- amount of uh, sand on many white sandy beaches will have been eaten and pooped by parrotfish. So there you go. Um, next time you're lying on a white sandy beach, think about that. It, you know, I might have ruined your holiday potentially, but uh, you know, it, the truth is the the most important thing. Surely, really, right. Moving on, uh, you may have heard of Thousand Islands, the Thousand Islands in the in the lakes, the Great Lakes of Canada. Uh, which I have visited. Not all 1,000 islands, but I, I saw a few of them. Uh, maybe about a dozen on a little boat trip I took back in 2015. But apparently I need to go to Sweden because Sweden has 267,570 islands, uh, basically making Sweden the world's island capital. Um, there is a woman on YouTube who, uh, whose name is um, Simone... Oh, I can't remember her name. Um, she is Simone Giorski, Simone Geertz. Well, that's not how she pronounces it, but, um, yeah, she's, uh, basically she's Swedish and she makes robots and, um, she's actually very, very recently, uh, had brain surgery. Um, she had to have a tumor removed from behind her eye, but she's doing very well. And, um, but, uh, for a long time, she had a houseboat in Sweden. And you can see why houseboats are popular there, because it just seems like, um, the, yeah, that must be an amazing place to have a houseboat. I'd love to have a houseboat in Sweden. Um, although I'm assuming because it's up, uh, near to the north and has a similar climate to places like northern Canada and, uh, Alaska, there's probably uh, a month in the summer which it becomes unbearable because of mosquitoes. That's something I learned about recently, is that uh, uh, from Joe Rogan, uh, so I've mentioned Joe Rogan today on this program, and um, yeah, apparently the mosquitoes there in the summer are insane and very, very vicious. They basically have one month to collect all the food they need to produce baby mosquitoes, and they will... um, generally attack everything and anything and everything. Uh, he said they had about a 100 mosquitoes in the car within about three to five seconds of opening the door. So they're very voracious mosquitoes. So if you are going to go and paddle around um, the lakes and islands of Sweden, bear that in mind. Although he did recommend also that there is uh, this crazy new thing you can get, um, which actually, it's something you, you burn it, and it keeps mosquitoes at a distance of about eight meters or something like that. Uh, or is it five meters? But yeah, sounds very impressive. Anyway, moving on, uh, we're going to talk about Venezuela's Lake 
Maracaibo. It has the most lightning on the planet. There are 150 nights of lightning per year, so nearly half a year, ten uh, hours a day, and approximately 280 times per hour. Wow! If only there was some way of actually using lightning energy, um, like they did in Back to the Future. That would be quite impressive, I suppose. Yeah, the chances of being hit by lightning are out. Yeah, that that would be that would be fun. Um, ah, yes, it's our old friends, the tree climbing goats. Uh, goats in the village of Tamri in Morocco climb local argan trees so they can eat the nourishing argan berries. And once again, there is a picture of a bunch of goats in a tree. Always, oh, I'm just, I've, I've, I saw that for the first time about five years ago, and I have never got tired of the, yeah, the sight of goats in trees. It's just, I, how do they get there? They're so good at climbing. I mean, that's just so impressive. I mean, it's a, it's an animal. It has hooves. How does it even get into a tree? It's just, I, just, uh, I love it. Yeah, cascos, like with caballos. Uh, yes, hoofs, uh, hoofs and hoofs and trees and yeah, that's, that's generally it. It's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, right, moving on. We're going to do, I think we have time for about one more fact. This is, ah, here we are. Yes, I've heard about these. These are the, uh, da, 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 I think they're called the Rainbow Hills or something. Uh, if you ever go to China, try and make sure you go to Danxia, D-A-N-X-I-A. This is in China's Gansu province, and it has a natural red sandstone and rainbow effect, which it produces. And that's a really, really impressive picture. Anyway, that's all the time. Oh, is it all the time we have? Yes, that's all the time we have. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with something related to, well, more grammar stuff. Uh, but until then, it's bye-bye from me. Thank you for listening. pensado en todo lo que puedes llegar a conseguir? Alcanzar todas tus metas, todas las oportunidades laborales al alcance de tu mano. EMIP, un programa en inglés para ejecutivos y profesionales de alto